break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 21st of September, 2021, 9-21-21. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. Happy to be with you as always. Plenty for you here on the show. As always, we're going to be talking about the just absolutely brutal expulsion of Haitians from a migrant camp in Texas on the border between Mexico and the United States. We're going to be talking about the racist death penalty in Ohio, as racist there as anywhere else, if not more. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about some pro-worker measures that are languishing in Congress. Well, many in Washington are calling this the quote-unquote critical week for the infrastructure and budget bills being pushed by Democrats in Congress after being initiated by President Biden in slightly different circumstances earlier this year under the moniker of the Build Back Better agenda. And in what can only be read as a negative statement about the quote-unquote democracy that allegedly exists here in the United States, despite a record number of voters supporting a Democratic majority in the executive and legislative branches of government and significant bipartisan majorities in favor of all of these proposals in just about all the polling done both nationally and in so-called swing states, the entire Democratic Party agenda seems to be either about to totally collapse or only pass in a significantly hobbled fashion because of pressure from the tiny minority of super wealthy corporations and individuals who are opposed to any new taxes at all. And it's important to keep in mind why this is in fact happening in the context of considering what's at stake and how much attention you should put on this. As we will get into it, isn't that likely that these bills are going to change the world all by themselves? And certainly many caveats could be raised even about some of the quote unquote good elements of them all. What is at stake, though, is whether or not the most basic, necessary measures that work towards the safety, health, and well-being of the people and the planet are going to take place, and that the only, the only reason it may not happen is the capitalist class refuses to pay. It raises a key ideological point. Is the wealth theirs, the capitalist, that is, or is that wealth created for them by the tens of millions of workers that make their businesses run? Is it their money, or do we have a claim on it? A win here is a win for the idea that, yes, we do have a claim on it and have every right to demand and take a social wage that improves our lives, whether the elite like it or not. And a loss means, well, we may have the right in the abstract, certainly morally, but not the political power to make it happen. And there are certainly lessons to be learned from both outcomes, but only one actually can provide some aid and comfort to those who need and deserve it. And either way, the best teacher will not be abstention, but fighting for even small movements and improvements in people's lives. In other words, here is a rare chance to fight out on a national stage 
something where the basic premises of which speak to how the capitalist system functions and also to fight for something that can improve the actual relationship of forces of working poor and oppressed people. So it's a chance to make some important points and a chance to make some important gains for many people. Now on to the bill itself. Now, the bills are in two parts, although they're essentially coming as a condominium here. The first is an infrastructure bill that was negotiated between Democrats and Republicans. And then there's also a budget bill that only has the support of Democrats and, in fact, can only pass via an arcane process known as budget reconciliation that allows Democrats to pass the bill with a simple majority. Otherwise, they would have to obtain 10 Republican votes to meet the threshold of 60 votes to avoid what is known as the filibuster. That's a process for stopping any bill with less than 60 votes. And while the Democrats could abolish the filibuster, they do not, in fact, have enough votes in the Senate among Democrats to do so. Also, the budget reconciliation process is governed by intricate guidelines that can actually be waived at any time. But Democrats also appear unwilling to do that, meaning that the interpretation of the guidelines by the Senate parliamentarian can also limit what is in that particular bill and is already, in fact, playing a role in the drama. The basic contours of the disagreement are as follows. The infrastructure bill was so watered down that it leaves the country well behind where it needs to be in terms of making sure the bridges don't collapse, the dams don't break, and that you don't end up poisoned by lead in your water. So many Democrats, mainly in the House, did not want to support that. But they decided to because there was another bill coming in train with it, the budget bill, which addressed many other critical issues like paid family and medical leave, expanding health care for millions of people, making community college free, bolstering long-term care for the disabled and the elderly, and also significant cash assistance for families. The problem that has arisen is this. The entire Republican Party, at least two Democratic senators, and a group of House Democrats that could be as large as 15 all oppose all or parts of the budget reconciliation bill and want it either watered down or killed, which is quite a statement about the democracy in the United States, that there are technically two main political parties, but regardless, the actual majority in Congress is for billionaires and corporations, regardless of party. And I should note here, those two Democratic senators in the Senate and the 15 in the House are enough to potentially sink the bill. So now there's set to be a big back and forth in Congress over the bills overall and what should be included or stripped from the reconciliation bill and what should be added over the parliamentarian's objections. Now, the infrastructure bill will basically stand as is. There's more that we can say about it. But for our current purposes, what you really need to know is it's far below what's needed to fix the bridges, keep the dams from breaking, and make sure you won't be poisoned by lead in the water. The easiest way to think about that, there's about a $2.5 trillion gap in funding for critical infrastructure over 10 years. This bill is $1.1 trillion over 10 years. So there you go. For today's purposes, let's focus on the budget bill since that's where the action is, so to speak, on Capitol Hill. So again, what it comes down to is this, is taxes. So far, Democrats have only offered $2.9 trillion in new taxes to cover the $3.5 trillion cost and seem to either be saying something akin to leave the rest for deficit spending or everyone is sort of secretly, even though they're not saying this, agreed to water it down to $2.9 trillion. We'll see which one of those is the case as these debates go down. And the reality is they could easily raise the overall $3.5 trillion cost with more taxes on the wealthy corporations and the wealthiest individuals who absolutely have the money and absolutely can pay without it making any difference in their lives or operations. But it seems like most leading Democrats don't want to go that far because if they feel it would imperil their ability to get a majority of Democrats on board with the bill. And when you put it in perspective, it's honestly just amazing how fake of an issue this is. You'd think the ultra-wealthy were broke. 
but they aren't. During the pandemic, the wealth of billionaires alone grew $1.8 trillion during the pandemic. They collectively have a wealth of $4.8 trillion. 708 billionaires, $4.8 trillion. You literally could pay for the entire $3.5 trillion package. And those 708 billionaires would still have $1.3 trillion left. That actually means they would all still have $1.8 billion apiece. You could pay for the entire $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill just from the wealth of billionaires. And at the end of the process, they would all still be billionaires. $1.8 billion. And by comparison, the average American with a college degree has lifetime earnings of $2 million. And that's lifetime. So over like 70 years. So clearly, even if you took all of the money to pay for this from billionaires, it would not be any legitimate sacrifice for billionaires. A new study from the Institute for Taxation and Economic Policy shows how absurd this is on the corporate level as well. They noted, for instance, quote, Bermuda's GDP, meaning its total economic output in 2018, was $7 billion. Yet, U.S. multinationals reported to the IRS $97 billion in earnings in Bermuda in 2018. And the report looks at the number of people employed by foreign nationals in Bermuda, that's 740, and calculates that each employee would have been responsible for more than $131 million in corporate profits if these claims were true. Now, if you believe that's true, that all 740 people somehow created $97 billion in earnings, well, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. And the report from ITEP goes on to note that, making the point even deeper, quote, all six of the top tax havens in 2018 were either British overseas territories or crown dependencies. Amazingly, American companies claimed to earn $204 billion in combined profits in these tiny jurisdictions, despite those jurisdictions having a combined GDP of $30 billion. So clearly tens of billions of dollars every year is being held exempt from tax from these corporations in just these tax shelters alone. And there are many other tax dodges out there. The ITEP report also goes on to note how the argument around U.S. taxes is that it is overwhelmingly burdensome. Well, consider the fact that, as they say, quote, corporate taxes accounted for just 1.9% of GDP in 2016. That's the seventh lowest among OECD countries and the lowest of all major economies. And post-TCGA, those are the Trump tax cuts, that rate has fallen even lower. In 2019, corporate taxes comprised just 1% of GDP, with only Hungary, Latvia, and Greece having lower rates among OECD countries. Hmm. But despite all of this, the two largest business lobbies, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable, are totally opposed to the bill. Big Pharma has also been trying to sink it as well because the cost of expanding Medicare is significantly covered by lowering the cost of prescription drugs by allowing Medicare to negotiate prices with the drug companies like, say, the national health care system in Canada does. So when it comes to the wealthiest people and the wealthiest corporations, they absolutely have the money for all this. It absolutely could all be paid for. And essentially their only objection is, well— it's our money, and we don't want to spend it, which, as we noted earlier, is absurd given the fact that workers create the wealth. But let's just assume that wasn't the case. You'd assume they wouldn't want to spend it because it's doing something really, really bad. 
And while we can't go through the whole thing here, it seems quite interesting to say that the things in this budget reconciliation bill are really, really bad. Some of what would not happen if you went ahead and did not pass this bill is you wouldn't get any of the following. A continuance of the expanded child tax credit, which sends a check to families every month, which cuts child poverty by 40%. The bill would also expand the earned income tax credit, which would actually cut taxes on 17 million of the lowest income Americans. 33.6 million people in the U.S. don't have one paid day off. This bill would end that. It would also make community college free and establish universal pre-K. It would provide summer grocery assistance to help kids on free school lunch when school is out and add dental and vision coverage to Medicare. It also would establish an 80% clean energy standard by 2030. And if Democrats are willing to go against the parliamentarians' guidelines, the bill could give 8 million undocumented people citizenship and raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. So, yes, that's right. Billionaires and wealthy corporations would rather keep every single dollar that they have rather than cut child poverty by 40%, have free community college, free child care, send a check to every family that needs it, and have clean energy in the country by 2030. Yes, that's right. The 1%, the elites, the capitalist class do not want any of these things to happen. Now, of course, one could and probably should argue that much more could be and should be happening. But it's hard to argue that these things should not happen. Literally putting thousands of dollars into the pockets of tens of millions of poor and working people for essentially no cost at all. And yet again, the only reason it will not happen is the richest people in corporations don't want to pay, despite the fact it would make no difference at all in how they live or operate. I mean, it honestly just shows how absurd capitalism is that nothing could quote-unquote fundamentally change and you could still do all this. Imagine what you could do if things did fundamentally change. So when you all put it together, it's easy to see why this is an important fight. It's about whether people should be able to live in basic dignity in the richest country in the history of countries. It's about who really creates the wealth and deserves its fruits. It's about whether or not people power can assert itself even when corporate power holds the balance of power. Can they be forced to concede? Can we give the hopeless something to hope for, not in some other world, but in the here and now, and not because someone gave it to them, but because of what they themselves were able to do? Walter Raglan on Ohio's death row since 1999 is challenging his death sentence on the basis that he was sentenced to death, not just because of his race, he is black, but also the race of the person that was killed. Raglan was convicted in Hamilton County, Ohio, one of the nation's outlier counties that issue a disproportionate number of the nation's death sentences. It's actually in the top 2% of death sentences issued nationwide. Raglan is citing as evidence to support his appeal a study from last year authored by professors Catherine M. Grasso and Barbara O'Brien at Michigan State and an assistant federal public defender, Julie C. Roberts, who works for the federal public defender in the Southern District of Ohio. As the Death Penalty Information Center notes, the study, quote, reviewed the treatment of aggravated murder cases in Hamilton County over the quarter century between January 1992 and August 2017. The authors of the study examined 599 cases in which Hamilton County prosecutors charged defendants with aggravated murder. They found that in cases with at least one white victim, the odds that a defendant would be capitally charged were 4.5 times greater than in similarly situated cases with no white victims. A black defendant with at least one white victim faced odds of receiving a death sentence that were 5.3 times higher than all other cases. So essentially, if you kill a white person in Hamilton County, Ohio, and you are black, you are both more likely to be charged with aggravated murder as opposed to other similar charges, and you are significantly more likely to have prosecutors in that county seek the death penalty. 
And in the same state, the Death Penalty Information Center also points out that, quote, Hamilton County is not alone in its outlier use of the death penalty in Ohio. A study by researcher Frank Baumgartner at the University of North Carolina released in fall 2020 found that Cuyahoga County, that's where Cleveland is, and Hamilton County ranked 12th and 15th respectively in death sentencing nationwide. And also that Cuyahoga ranked second among U.S. counties tied with Philadelphia for the most exonerations of death row prisoners who had been wrongfully convicted, and all of those wrongful convictions involved police or prosecutorial misconduct. So clearly, all over the state here, the death penalty is very racist and riddled with bias. Let's hope that Mr. Raglan's lawsuit can not only help him, but many others sentenced to death, because black lives really don't matter in the U.S. criminal legal system. In a scene that quite frankly, seemed straight out of slavery. Border Patrol agents on horseback use whips this weekend to corral Haitian migrants that they're trying to remove from the country from a border camp in Texas. The migrants had gathered in the Texas city of Del Rio in large numbers in a camp under an overpass with the international bridge that connects the United States and Mexico. The numbers are said to have reached 15,000, and they were there because they were hoping to seek asylum in the United States. Without much food or water, the camp was becoming something of a humanitarian crisis. The New York Times described the scene as consisting of, quote, dense crowds sleeping on dirt or milling about in triple-digit heat amid conditions of deteriorating sanitation, end quote. The camp grew to thousands from a few hundred in seemingly a week or so as part of a general surge of Haitian migrants over the summer, an overall surge of migrants seeking to improve the lives of themselves and their families fleeing humanitarian disasters in other countries. One and a half million people have crossed the border this year. The issue is there really is no way to get to the U.S. quickly immigration-wise for most people. It either requires a very long wait or a very specific set of circumstances that most people don't qualify for. Yet the places they are fleeing are in dire straits. So people are leaving, seeking any shelter from violence and extreme poverty and hoping that the U.S. grants them asylum. Due to U.S. policies towards Haiti, the country there has pursued decades of a development path that actually produces poverty on purpose to fuel export-based sweatshops. The country's south also just experienced a massive earthquake, and since late last year, the state, which didn't do much anyways, has almost totally disintegrated and created a serious vacuum in public security to go along with the permanent vacuum in public services. In fact, the situation was so bad the U.S. government actually extended temporary protective status for Haitians already in the United States just a few months ago. But for these Haitians, none of that matters because the Biden administration is much more concerned about being deemed pro-immigrant by Republicans. So they chose not to repeal some of the Trump-era provisions, which make it easy to deport people without allowing them a chance for asylum. And these are the policies that are being used here for Border Patrol agents on horseback with whips to round people up, throw them on planes, and deport them by the thousands to somewhere else in Central America or back to Haiti itself. In that regard, Biden isn't really that different from Trump. And in fact, he's being motivated by the exact same impulse to make sure that his administration doesn't look compassionate towards immigrants to try to avoid a backlash from racists. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. 
It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. Oh.